So it's amazing to hear about connecting with the community. I brought this watch in case I can't see that clock. I've been over my message this morning and it was way too long. So I says, I need to miss part of it out. I need, I need a watch. I wear glasses, but I only wear them when I'm driving. I don't, don't like wearing them. So I says, Sandy, give me your watch just in case. So that's in between 25 past and half past. There's nothing worse than somebody doesn't know when to stop speaking. It's kind of like, I wish they would stop. Nothing worse. A guy said to me, this is true. A long time ago, he was a Church of Scotland guy, very polite in that. He says, if you've not struck oil within 20 minutes, he says, stop boring. And that was true. I says, okay. I was thinking to myself, he's saying I'm a bore. <laughs> so anyway, I'm going to speak about what does it look like to have an encounter with Jesus Christ? You know, pressing into an encounter with Jesus Christ. And I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 23, just, just, in, just shortly, not right now, but Matthew chapter 23, verse 25 to 28. And I've got a verse up here, the first verse I'm going to mention. And that is Romans chapter 1, verse 16. And the Apostle Paul says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and then to the Greek and to all those who would believe. So the Apostle Paul is writing to the Roman church and he's speaking about the gospel. That's the one thing he's speaking about, and that is the one reason why we are here this morning, because of the gospel and the gospel alone. And we know the gospel, the centrality of the gospel was Jesus Christ going to the cross. That's the centrality of it. But here, within this verse, the first thing Paul uh, connects with the gospel, he says it's the power of God unto salvation. So in other words, we should be experiencing something in our life that is real, something that is tangible, something that is uh, authentic, something that is experiential, really something that is transforming our lives. And there's a, because there's an alternative, and the alternative can be found in Matthew chapter 23. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus spends, I think it's a full chapter, rebuking the Pharisees and the scribes. And he begins to say things to them like, you say long prayers in the synagogue, but your hearts are far from me. He's saying you even pay tithes and you, you, you wear all the right clothing, they had all the religious uh, attire, and they wore, wore all that stuff. And back then, it was a religious society, so people looked up to them. But Jesus was saying, it's, it's all an outward facade. He's ticking the boxes on the outside, but there's no change on the inside. And he's really basically telling us Christianity is not from the outside in, but it's from the inside out. It's been transformed on the inside. And I'm going to read, uh, starting at verse 25, I'm just going to read four verses out of this full chapter. And Jesus said this, he says, What to you? Scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. 
Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautifully outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And that's just four verses there. I'm going to get back through them one by one. And there's a clear theme coming through those verses. And the clear theme was, you have got a form of righteousness on the outside, but it's a false righteousness. And sometimes we can do that in church as well. You get that in church, we learn how to say the right things, do the right things, tick the right boxes, but there's maybe no change taking place on the inside. And just looking at verse 25 again, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. So he's talking about a cup and a dish, but he's actually talking about people's lives. And he's saying a cup can be clean on the outside, and that's very true. A cup can be clean on the outside and even a dish. But if you look on, on the inside, if somebody doesn't wash the dishes right, and people do that, they don't wash the dishes right, then you look at a cup and there's stains in the cup, and he's comparing that to their lives. He says, this is what your lives are like. He says, it looks good on the outside, but inside, you know, it is corrupted. Verse 26, it says, blind Pharisee, so they were blind to their own condition. First cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. So he's saying it's an inward thing. God wants to meet with us inwardly. And he says, then if we begin, if we, he begins to do a work on the inside of us, the outside will begin to line up with that. They'll begin to come together. And there'll not be a false form of righteousness on the outside. Verse 27. Woe to you, so he's, he's rebuking them, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautifully outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So again, the same theme is coming through. It says it's an outward facade. That's what he's saying. And he's saying you appear beautifully outwardly like dead men's tombs. See, today within society, if somebody dies, we will either, society will either bury them, their loved ones will bury them, or they'll cremate them. Back then, they put them in tombs, and there could be several people within that tomb. And what they would do, was they would whitewash the tomb, it became like a place, a monument, where people would go to see, this is the same as people would go to a graveyard today, they would go to the tombs. And it would whitewash the tomb, make it all looking nice to respect the dead. And Jesus was saying to the Pharisees, this is what your lives are like. This is what your lives are like because you, you know, you look good on the outside, but inside is death. See, death is a, the ultimate fulfillment of corruption. And Jesus was saying to them, there's corruption and death on the inside, but it all looks good on the outside. Verse 28, even so you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So within those four verses, he mentions five things. He mentions extortion, 
See, they were using the system, the religious system, to, to extort off the people. They were using it to benefit themselves. So he mentioned extortion. He mentioned self-indulgence. And self-indulgence is similar to selfishness. Self-indulgence is about living to feed your own pleasures. You know, it's all about you, 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 you feeding your carnal nature. And when God comes into somebody's life, God wants to transform us so we're no longer living in a place of self-indulgence. Our life is no longer about us, but is about us touching the lives of others. And this is one of the things he does or wants to do in each person's life. And these people were, were celebrating a Remembering Remembrance Day today. And these soldiers, you know, they sacrificed their life. That wasn't self-indulgence. Their life was no longer about them, but about serving the country. And he mentions hypocrisy four times. I think that's once every verse. And we know what hypocrisy means. They were making out they were one way, but they were a different way altogether within their hearts. He mentions uncleanness. They were defiled at the very core of who they were. And he mentions lawlessness. See, they appeared good on the outside, but inside they were completely out of control. And is Jesus just talking about the Pharisees here? He's rebuking the Pharisees, but really he's describing the human condition. See, the human condition is corrupt, and they were going through the motions. All looked good outwardly, but on, on the inside they were full of defilement, full of wickedness. The outward facade was hiding the inner corruption. However, Jesus Christ himself could see right through the facade. And the Bible tells us in the book of Samuel, I don't know if it's first or second Samuel, but it says, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. See, God wants to deal with each one of us at the heart level, heart to heart, to purge out the corruption that is in our heart. In Jeremiah chapter 17, in verse 9, it says this, the heart of man is deceitfully wicked above all things, and who can know it? So it's deceitfully wicked above all things, above everything. It's saying the heart is corrupt, it's wicked, it's deceitful. And it says, and who can know it? In other words, we can, ourselves can be deceived. We can be out of touch with what is going on in our, in our world. The same as Jesus said to the Pharisees, blind Pharisee. They were blind to their own condition. They thought they were okay. I've met people who think they're, they're okay. Christian people, they're far from okay. And uh, as he deals with the deceitfulness and wickedness in our hearts, he begins to give us a new heart. That's what the Bible says. In the book of Ezekiel chapter 11, chapter 18, and chapter 36, it says the Lord will give you a new heart. And back then, the prophet Ezekiel, he was calling the people to repentance, the nation of Israel to repentance. They, were, they had completely went away from God. There was destruction there. Sin brings destruction. And he began to call them to repentance. But in Ezekiel 36, it's also very clear he's speaking about the new covenant, the new covenant that was coming. And he says this, he says, I'll take the heart of stone out of your flesh and I'll give you a heart of flesh. He says, and I will put a new spirit within you and I'll cause you to walk in my statues and obey my commands. And I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. And this is what salvation does. When we're born again, it begins to transform us 
and give us a new heart. If we were once living in a place of self-indulgence, he said, I'm going to transform you and I'm going to make you a servant, a servant to the people. What the community group the other night, bringing the people in, it's about becoming servants to the people, meeting the needs of others. This is what God does. And these things within our hearts, they can stop the corruption within our heart, but it's unresolved. It stops the flow of the life of God manifesting within our lives and within our hearts. And there's a deep need within man to encounter God in the depths of our innermost being, really at the heart level. Some people may not be in touch with that deep need. Some of us may be in touch with it to different degrees. But the Bible says in Psalm 42, verse 7, it says, The deep calls unto the deep. And I went and looked at that in some commentaries, that some commentators were saying. And this is what they said. Every one of them that I looked at, they says that deep calling to the deep is the deep within man, calling out to the deep within God, to the uh, calling out to the to the depths of God, and it says that man really has to come to realise their need for God. They have a deep need for God, and there's, there's, they have a deep they need a deep remedy, and a deep remedy will cry out. Sorry, they have a deep need. And a deep need will cry out for a deep remedy. remedy, And that is found in God. And they too will meet somewhere within the middle. See, we have a need within us that only God can meet. When we begin to experience Him in a way that is tangible, real satisfaction comes in to our lives. And I'm going to share some scriptures here where Jesus himself says, I can meet that deep need within you. I'm not going to turn to them, but they might come up there. And uh, I'm just going to share them from memory. In John chapter 6, Jesus is speaking. And uh, even verse 33, I'm going to speak. I'm not going to mention 34, just John 6, 33 uh, to begin with. And then I'll go to 35. But in John chapter 6, Jesus is speaking. And he's speaking about uh, the manna in the wilderness. And, and uh, when they were in the wilderness, they had no food. They had no provision and they complained to Moses and Moses began to pray to God and God says I'm going to send manna and he says and he sent that manna for 40 years and that was to meet a need within them it was provision it was God's provision and it was supernatural it was miraculous it never happened before it never happened again and God met, met them at the point of their need so in the New Testament, in John chapter 6, Jesus begins to speak about that. He begins to speak about the manna in the wilderness. See, the wilderness was full of types and shadows, but the substance was going to be Christ. And Jesus begins to say things like, Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. Then he goes on to say in verse 33 of John chapter 6, For the bread of God... Is he who comes down from the world, from heaven, sorry, and gives life to the world. Remember that, it gives life. And what Jesus was saying was, he was the bread of God. And he's saying, I have come to meet your need. I have come as the bread of God to meet you at the point of your need. And if you look at the previous verses, what he's saying is the manna that they received in the wilderness was a type and was a shadow. But now the real thing has come. 
And I can meet you at the point of your need. He says, I can pour into your life and it will bring life. It brings life, he says, to the world. Then if you move on to verse 35, so first he describes himself as the bread of God. Then he describes himself as the bread of life. And this is what he says. He says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst. And he's declaring himself as the answer to our lives. And he's saying to us, I can meet you at the point of your need. Nothing else. He's not saying a pastor can do it, a preacher, a church service, although that all comes into play. Uh, or your mum, your dad, your brother, your sister. He's saying, I'm the one who will meet you at the point of your need. You do not need to go through a mediator. I can meet you. I can pour into your life and touch your deepest need. So he's calling himself the bread of life. In verse 57 of the same chapter, Mark, uh, John chapter 6, it says, As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds in me will live because of me. So he's saying this again. He is saying, when we begin to feed on him, he will meet our need, and we will begin to live because of him. He's talking about this connection between uh, an individual and him. See, he is saying, I can pour into your life. If you begin to feed on me, I have made a way that I can touch your life and I can transform your life. In John chapter 10, he speaks about the good shepherd. We sang about Jesus, about the good the shepherd in Psalm 23, the first song we sang. But in John chapter 10, again, he's describing himself as a good shepherd. And he begins to say things like, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So he's describing himself as a shepherd and he's describing us as the sheep. And he's using all these kind of parables. He's telling these stories to give us a picture to get these stories into, into our minds and so we can understand them. He tells these stories. So he's on the context of him being the good shepherd, us being the sheep. And in verse 9 of John chapter 10, it says this, some translations, it says, I am the gate, meaning the, 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 the shepherd. The shepherd cares for the sheep and they can come into the field. But other translations, the new King James says, I am the door. And he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, you need to go through him, he's saying, he will be saved. But it doesn't stop there. It says, after that, it says, they will come in and they will go out and they will find pasture. So again, he's saying he's a good shepherd, we are the sheep, and he's giving us this parable. And he's saying, we'll go in and out and find pasture. See, a sheep cannot survive without the pasture. And this is what he's saying, he's using this metaphorically. And he says, me the shepherd, you the sheep, you cannot survive without the pasture. You need to go through me to be saved, then I, will, I can give you access. We can press in for that access that he's already purchased for us to get that pasture that he will begin to feed us in our innermost being. And see, Jesus has made a way for us to access something that is real and something that is life-changing. The alternative is it's all a facade. We go through the motions. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, 
in verse 5, it talks about having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. So what do we want in our lives? Do we want a form of godliness the same as the Pharisees? It was all a show. Or do we want to experience the power of God in our lives? The power of God that changes a life, but transforms a life. I remember I had my wee fat mother -in -law. I had that fat for 13 years. And uh, what happened was the sink was getting blocked up in the toilet. And uh, this sink would get blocked up and it would take hours. It get worse and worse and worse to the point it was taking hours for the water to run away. So I phoned the housing association and said, we'll send the plumber out. And the plumber fixed it, he unblocked the pipe. But I, I don't know what he done, but it happened again a couple of years later. And they told me, he says, go and buy stuff at the supermarket. This is what the housing association told me. And it's a wee container with a liquid substance. He says, pour it down the sink. Pour it down. Leave it for five minutes. This is what it says on the instructions. And then run hot water. So this is what I've done. The pipe was completely unblocked. And I thought, that is absolutely amazing. And I don't know what this substance does. Maybe it burns the stuff away, but it's blocking the pipe so the sink can run away. But I thought, that is a great, I used to think, that is a great, and every couple of years, we need to do the same again, and the same again. And I thought, that is a great wee picture about what God wants to do in our life, because the channel within us can be blocked. It can be blocked from the flow of the life of God. And God wants to unblock that channel. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul, Jesus in uh, John chapter 6, he was talking about the manna and the one that's been a type and a shadow. Then Paul, the Apostle himself, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he begins to look back at the Old Testament as well. And he begins to write about some things happened, he says, for our admonition. He says, some of these things that happened were examples for our learning. He says, even the judgments, there was judgments, and he says, we have to learn from those judgments. But then he goes in to talk about, Jesus spoke about the manna, and he goes on to speak about the, the rock in the wilderness. And he says, that, so, so the rock was in the wilderness, and they had complained to Moses that they had no water. No water for them, and no water for their animals. So God said to Moses, strike the rock, and the water will come out. And that's how it was supernatural. It was miraculous. You know, nothing like that had ever happened before. And the Apostle Paul picks up in that. And he begins to tell us that was only a type and a shadow. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, it says this. It says, and all drank the same spiritual drink. He's talking about them in the wilderness. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. So he was saying, they had the type and they had the shadow. He says, but you can have the real thing. And he's saying, the rock is Christ Jesus. Remember, Jesus says, he who believes in me and my teachings, he's like a man who builds his house on the rock. And he's saying, the rock is Christ. The water is spiritual drink. Let me just quote that again. And all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. And Paul is telling us God has made a way through sending Jesus Christ that we can have spiritual drink. And really, he has made a way that he, would, he will meet every need. We need, to, we need to come into contact with that need within us for God 
God to awaken within us that need for spiritual drink. See, if we're thirsty or hungry <coughs> in the natural, we will, we'll, we'll eat food and we'll drink, you know, we'll drink liquids. And it is the same spiritually. You know, we will press into God. And if we don't get fed spiritually, with the spiritual food that God gives us, Jesus is the bread of life, and him is that spiritual drink, we begin to die spiritual. But I'll finish with this. In John chapter 7, verse 37 and verse 38, Jesus said this, it says, on the last day of the feast, they were talking about the Feast of Tabernacles, it says, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. It says, then, for I, he, then he who believes in me, verse 38, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. And what are those rivers of living water? It's really the life of God flowing out of a person, flowing out of the individual and touching those round about them. It's, that's the rivers of living water, the life of God. But that's in verse 38. But to get to verse 38, you need to look further again at verse 37. And verse 37 takes us into verse 38. And how does that happen? He says, if anyone thirsts, if anyone thirsts, let him come to be and drink. So we need this, something awakened within us. It's really a, a thirst for him. It's really a desire for him. Because he says, and all drank the same spiritual drink. But they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. And as the living Father sent me, he says, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds in me will live because of me. So Jesus has made a way that we do not need to go through a priest, but they did in the Old Testament. We do not need to go through anybody. He has made a way that we go to him directly. And he is saying, I can meet your every need. And I can meet you at the point of your need. And I can meet your greatest need. But it's a one-on-one -on -one connection with him. And I think some of those scriptures, you know, that I've been looking at recently, but it says Jesus meets us at the point of our need. I think that is, they are powerful. Powerful that we can go directly to him. And he is the answer for our life. Jesus was pointing to himself, saying, I am the answer to your life. He's the answer to my life. He's the answer to your life. And we can meet with him. The Bible says this, but you, when you pray, Jesus said this himself, but you, when you pray, go into your room and when you have shut the door, pray to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. It's a one-on-one -on -one connection. So I'm just going to pray and uh, give it back to Graham. So I'm just about half an hour and now I'm just a couple of minutes over it. So thank God for that. Father, we ask you to give us revelation, Lord, eyes to see and ears to hear, Lord, and a heart to understand that your son, Jesus Christ, is the bread of life, is that living water, is that spiritual drink. And as a living father, sent him and he lives because of the father so he who feeds in me will live because of me lord we want to be ones who will feed on jesus christ who will have our need met 
that deep need within us by Christ himself. Lord, we're praying for those people, Lord, who are coming in, Lord, Lord, to get the soup, Lord, and just a heat, Lord, and to get friendship. We're praying, Lord, you would open up their hearts, Lord, to the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. Lord, you would open up their hearts, Lord. We pray, Lord, for salvation, Lord, in this place, Lord, so we can be encouraged, Lord, so we can see fruit, Lord, so that you can get a reward, Lord, for your suffering, Lord. We see, pray for salvation, Lord, in this house, Lord, this church, Lord, and within this community in Moody'sburn, Lord. We're praying, Lord, for a breakthrough, Lord, within this place, Lord, and breakthroughs, Lord, within the churches, Lord, at large, and the communities, Lord, that we will see salvation, Lord. The book of Acts says that God added to their number those who were being saved, daily, those who were being saved, Lord. May that happen again. Lord, it's never just happened in the book of Acts. It's happened in different times without, throughout history, different seasons, Lord. May there be another season, Lord, of salvation, for salvation and breakthrough, Lord, and restoration and healing, Lord. In the mighty name of Jesus, Lord, we pray for young Nathan who is getting baptised next Saturday, Lord. You'll just bless his life, Lord. Touch his life, Lord, in a new way, Lord. And just, Lord, move upon his life, Lord. We think of uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were ten times better than their peers, Lord. Make them ten times better, Lord. Give them intellect, Lord, and intelligence, Lord, and discipline in his life, Lord. His life will have purpose, Lord. His life will have meaning, Lord. And we just speak, Lord, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11 over his life. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. So, thank you.